In the book of Psalms, as David confronted crisis after crisis, one of the things that he cries out in these songs is, I am yours, save me. And tonight, we, through Jesus Christ, belong to God the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son. And although you may be going through hardship, sickness, financial difficulty, whatever the difficulties you're having, if you belong to him tonight, you're safe in his fold. You have cause to rejoice. I'm certainly thankful to be here tonight. We're here to study the word of God, though. We're here to talk about uh, how we can be better, how we can be closer to the Father. Perhaps you remember as a child having a special place, a secret place where you could go to be all alone. Let me tell you about a boy who had just such a place in the top of an old fruit tree on the back of his family's property. The tree was loaded with leaves, but it hadn't produced any fruit in years. High up in its branches, hidden from view, by the leaves was a perfect little secret hideaway. There, the boy was an astronaut that traveled to far-off galaxies. He was Tarzan that faced the challenges of the jungle. He was a lookout for the cavalry atop a great fort. He resorted to this secret place whenever he felt mistreated or misunderstood. So you can imagine how he felt when he heard his father telling his mother over dinner one night, I think I'll cut down that old fruit tree. It hadn't produced any fruit in years. But what could he do? If he begged his father not to do it, then he'd have to explain why. And his secret hideaway would be a secret no more. Well, he came up with a plan. Since there were a number of apple trees in a field nearby, he'd gather a whole basket full. And that evening, while his parents were busying themselves inside, he climbed the tree and tied the stems of dozens of apples to almost every limb of the old fruit tree. Well, you can imagine the next morning, the father's surprise when he looked at the old tree. He was amazed to see it was laden with big, fat apples. The father came back inside and said to his mother, you're not going to believe this, but a miracle took place last night. This old fruit tree is full of apples. There are fat, juicy apples on almost every branch. That's incredible, his wife said. Yes, the father said, and it's a double miracle because that's a pear tree. We chuckle because we all know of God's law of sowing and reaping. Apple trees don't produce pears, and pear trees don't produce apples. When you sow apple seeds, you expect apples. When you sow pear seeds, you expect pears because we learned long ago that what you sow is what you reap. And that brings us to our, our focus this evening in Galatians chapter 6. If you have a Bible nearby, I invite you to read with me, beginning with verse 7. Paul is really bringing this uh, great book to a close, this great letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. And he has these words to say. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, or if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, 
especially to those who are of the household of faith. What I'd like to do first of all is, is uh, break down this little passage and see what we can glean in understanding specifically what he's trying to say. We got a phrase here uh, again that we've noticed earlier in the meeting. Be not deceived. We uh, commented earlier this week that whenever you see that phrase, there's a number of times that we find that in the New Testament. That's somewhat like an exclamation mark before what he's about to say. You better pay close attention to what I'm about to write because a lot of people are going to be fooled and a lot of people are going to be deceived. What he does here is gives us the head up, heads up on our potential for deception, for self-deception. Pharaoh deceived himself and so can we. In James chapter 1 verse 26, the Bible says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, his religion is vain. Folks, that can happen to us. One thing we need to keep in mind, this letter, Galatians, was written to Christians. James was writing to Christians, warning about the potential for self-deception. Again, we see this. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and 12, warns about the possibility of what we're talking about. He says, God will send strong delusion to those who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. If we're determined that we're not going to do what the Bible says, you know what will happen? This is frightening. God will allow us to be deceived into thinking that wrong way is the right way. Self-deception. We've got to be careful of that. God's people have to be careful of that. Be not deceived. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 22 gives us a preview of the judgment. People are going to be deceived there. Uh, people who are religious and very active religiously. That was no guarantee, was it? They were deceiving themselves. They were fooling, kidding themselves. We don't want to be one of the ones who are surprised on the day of judgment. We can be deceived by others, of course. Can't help but think about Eve and the serpent in the garden. Jesus, uh, Matthew 15, 13 says, if the blind follow the blind, they shall both fall into the, into the ditch. We've got to be careful when we listen to others to make sure that what they're saying is really backed up by of us, saith the Lord. Well, next he says, God is not mocked. What does he mean by that? God is not going to be fooled. He's not going to be outsmarted. Literally, this word mocked in the original means to turn the nose up at. Don't think that you can turn your nose up at God and get away with it. There's a lot of men and a lot of women in the Bible who thought that God could be mocked. Men and women who turned their nose up at God. Ahab, Achan, Ananias. There's a long list of folks from A to Z who learned the hard way God will not be mocked. Again, this is issued to Christians. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. You may fool the law. You may fool your boss. You may fool your co-workers, your neighbors. You may fool your teachers, your friends, your parents. You may even fool your own spouse. But you, listen, you will not fool God. As we've sung so many times in days gone by, and it's so true, there's an all-seeing eye 
watching you. Listen, Jesus not only sees what you do, but he hears what you say and even knows what you're thinking this very moment. Hebrews 4.13 says, All things are naked, bare, laid bare, open for God to see at all times. Our very motives, which we may foolishly choose not to explore, are as clear to him as is the nose on our face. Our God is omniscient. Our God is all-knowing. He reads hearts. Sometimes people think they can read hearts. We can't. He can. That's why we hear and that's why we read so much in the Bible about the heart and God addressing. Better be careful about your heart in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart. He talks about those whose actions are reflecting, supposedly, that their heart's in the right place, but he says their heart is far from me. He talks about hardened hearts in Mark chapter 6, verse 52. Listen, God sees our hearts. You cannot fool God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, for you youngsters, young people who may not know what that means, that means whatever you plant. Whatever you sow, that will you also reap. Whatever you plant, that's what you're going to harvest. Folks, that is a law. That is a law of God. And you will not escape the law of the harvest. My life is an open book before God. And so is yours. And those motives, those thoughts, those words, and those actions, they all come with consequences. The wheels of God's justice grind slow, but exceeding fine. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. As my dad likes to put it, the chickens always come home to roost. There's going to be a settling up time, of course, through eternity. But even in this life, we reap what we sow. Paul didn't invent this idea. This is one of the more common ideas found in the Bible. We find it in the parables that Jesus taught. Remember the farmer? In Matthew 13, 24, who sowed good seed in his field? What happened? While he slept, an enemy sowed bad seed among the good. One day a servant found tares growing among the wheat, and he told the master. What did this tell him? Somebody has planted bad seed. Somebody planted these tares. Because wheat seed doesn't produce tares, and tares seed doesn't produce wheat. Now, down here, you know, because we can't see so well, we can't always distinguish between the tares and the wheat. But God doesn't have that problem. Some people who are just kind of slithering around thinking they can slip in on the judgment day on the, on the, on the coattails of somebody else who's living a godly Christian life. Ah, not going to work. God knows who the, the wheat are and God knows who the tares are and he sees it. And if you're faking Christianity, he knows it. And you won't get by. Back in the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea said in Hosea 8, 7, They have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Talking about sowing and reaping. Farther back than that, in Exodus 21, 24, Moses says, An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Again, talking about sowing and reaping. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1. First chapter in the Bible, verse 11. God said, Let the ground bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed. And every fruit-bearing tree bring forth fruit after its own kind. 
The law of sowing and reaping, of course, is as old as life itself. And now this evening, you may not know anything about gardening, and you may know not a thing about farming, but by the things you do and by the things you don't do, by the things you say and the things you fail to say, by the thoughts you think and the attitudes you exhibit, you are planting a garden, and you will reap a harvest. The question is, how does your garden compare to that that the Lord, we see the Lord had grown? How does your garden compare to that that we find through the New Testament that we should be cultivating and harvesting? Are you sowing tares? Are you sowing wheat? One of the contextual keys found in this passage is in verse 8. He says, for he who sows to the flesh, that's bad seed. He's been talking about that uh, for about a page or so. You turn back to Galatians 5, he's talking about that, the flesh and the spirit. He who sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit, good seed, will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Or in other words, you can't be filled with yourself and filled with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 26, obvious, obvious reference to what he's talking about here. Turn back a page and kind of follow along here. He's telling us here how you sow to the flesh and how you sow to the Spirit. He gives us about 17 specific ways, details them. In Galatians 5, a ways you can sow bad seed. Listen to the list. He kind of groups them together. First, he notices, he mentions sensual sins or moral impurity. He talks about adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness or lewdness. Then he talks about infidelity or the worship of false gods. He talks about idolatry and sorcery. And then he has a big, long list of relationship sins, nine of them. He's talking about uh, sinful emotions and responses to others, hatred or enmities, personal animosities, variance or strife, rivalry, discord, emulations or jealousies, getting fired up too early, talking about envious and contentious rivalry. These folks are bad seed. You're going to reap what you don't want to reap when you plant these. Wraths, uh, these are explosions or outbursts of wrath. Strive and factions, it's a party spirit. Us against them within the body of Christ. Seditions or division splits in two. Heresies, envyings, feelings of ill will. And of course the ultimate um, interpersonal sin, murder. Then he lists a couple more. Drunkenness and revelings, which are wild drinking parties. As we noticed the other night, a Christian has nothing whatsoever to do with that. And then he says, and such like. In other words, Paul says, I'm not listing every single way that you can plant good seed, but you bad seed, but you get the idea. You leave these alone. You stay away from these. Don't plant these or you will reap a harvest that you don't want to reap. When I'm involved in any of these, and when you are, we're sowing to the flesh and we're planting bad seed. And we need to remember the harvest time is coming. And that the ultimate harvest, he says, is those who practice such will not inherit the kingdom of God. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. We ain't going if we keep planting that kind of seed. Paul adds for emphasis in Galatians 6, verse 8, He who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. 
That term carries with the ideas of rottenness and decay. That's not where we want to be. Dabble in any of these, fail to repent, and you'll be like those in Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, I never knew you will be the response. We can also sow good seed. We've talked about this earlier in the week. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, we, re we read about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We, we don't give these enough attention. But you know what? If we don't plant these, we're going to have trouble in our homes. We're going to have trouble in the church. There's going to be a, a collision. We're on a collision course with our brothers and sisters when we're not planting these kinds of seeds. We're having a collision course with those in our family when we don't emphasize these like we should. Well, let's break this sowing and reaping business down a little bit further. What you reap is what you sow as an individual. We need to take personal what he's saying here. It applies to me and it applies to you just as if he would have mentioned your very name and my name right here in this verse. And we need to make sure we get that and we don't miss it. And this goes, this goes not just in spiritual matters. This, this goes in, uh, in school, uh, at work, in our friendships. You decide you're not going to do your homework. You decide you're not going to study for a test. What's going to happen? You're going to reap the results. You're going to fail. You decide you're not going to show up for work. You decide you're going to steal from the company. What's going to happen? You're going to pay. You're going to lose your job. An eager but somewhat unscrupulous salesman was delivering a bid to an engineering firm. While the man waiting on him stepped away from the desk for a few moments, the salesman noticed a competitor's bid on the man's desk. But he couldn't read the amount of the bid because there was a juice can on top of the part of the bid that showed the total amount. Kept looking at the can and looking up, looking back. The temptation was just too much. He reached over to move the can to see the competitor's bid and as he lifted the can, his heart sank as he watched thousands of BBs from the bottomless can scatter across the floor. He lost the bid. He learned, you're gonna reap what you sow. This reaping we do as individuals is also proportional to the amount of sowing we do. This works in the positive as well as the negative. We plant just a few good seed and we're going to only enjoy a, a small harvest. The more seed we plant, the greater the harvest will be in the positive. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Consider Joseph. Oh, what a great story this is. Genesis 37 or so through, through the end uh, of that great, and that great book. What happens with Joseph? Trouble. Trouble follows him the first half of his life. But he continues to live faithfully. He's sold as a slave by his brothers, his own family. He stays faithful. He perseveres after he's in prison for rejecting the advances of Potiphar's wife. He stays faithful after he was forgotten by the butler who promised to re reward him by telling the Pharaoh about his gift. He just kept sowing good seed and eventually he reaped the good harvest. Daniel, you remember, continued to honor his religious convictions even in the face of what seemed to be certain death. And his faithfulness was rewarded. When he was thrown in the lion's den, the angels of God 
protected him. And so, as you let your light shine, as you exhibit kindness, as you do good works, as you spread the truth, as you stand up for the truth, sometimes it'll seem like you go unappreciated or unrewarded. But just keep on sowing the good seed, and you too will reap the harvest. Of course, this works in the negative. Joseph's brothers, treacherous men, sold him as a slave. But as a result of that, down the road, they faced starvation and imprisonment. They had to beg for food from the brother that they had so badly mistreated. Belshazzar, you remember, profaned the sacred vessels of the temple in a drunken party. And he was confronted by the handwriting on the wall. Many, many, you take, many, many, take, you, you farsen. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. He was slain that very night. When Samson began to date the worldly Philistine Delilah, he never intended to become an adulterer. He never intended to disgrace his people, to abandon his vow, to lose his great strength, to have his eyes plucked out and finally end his own life. But Samson learned that sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Listen, younger brother and younger sister, you're making some choices today. You're making some choices, some decisions in 2006 that are going to either help you or haunt you for the rest of your days. You better remember this rule. You better remember this great law of God. Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing to the spirit? Well, here's another one. The individual will reap what he sows, but you know what? Your family will reap what you sow. How many times? How many times have we seen it? Noah, you remember, on the positive side, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And as a result of that, God designed a, a plan to save his family. And as a result of that, the human race was preserved. We could talk about Abra Abraham. We could talk about Rahab in Jericho. Esther, great examples of this very thing. Individuals who stood up for right and their family reaped the harvest. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not Depart from it. Oh, we still believe in the free moral agency of, of these little ones as they grow up. But what a legacy you can leave your family. What a legacy you can leave the church if you guard the hearts and the spirits of these little boys and girls as they grow up. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the training and instruction of the Lord. Another translation says. And while we're talking about family, I heard something one time that was very impressing, impressive to me. Listen to this, Dad. Are you treating your wife the way you want your daughter's husband to treat her? Mom, are you treating your husband the way you want your son's wife to treat him? Well, when we're talking about family, being impacted by your, by my actions, let's notice the negative. Every single time we stand before the grave of a loved one, we're reaping the harvest of the seed that Adam and Eve sowed in the Garden of Eden. Every time we deal with sickness, 
Every time we're confronted with pain, disease, we're reaping the seed, the harvest that they sowed. Think about Lot. Think about Lot. When he arrived at Sodom, Genesis 13, 13 says, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. But he went there anyway, settled in. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. And watch the progression with Lot. Genesis 13, 12, he pinched his tent towards Sodom. Again, like we noticed the other night. It's important where you are today, but it's even more important in which direction are you headed? He was headed the wrong way. Genesis 14, 12 says he was living in Sodom. Genesis 19, 1, finally he's sitting at the gate of Sodom as one of their key business leaders. Lot, unfortunately, realized too late that sin will take you farther than you want to go. He could tell you firsthand how sin, planting the wrong seed, destroyed his family. Wife turned to a pillar of salt. His uh, grandchildren uh, were also his children because of the heinous sin that he committed with his daughters. And the offspring of that were the Moabites and the Ammonites. Gave God's people trouble down the road. Jacob and Esau, story there. Remember Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage? Esau's descendants paid for that. Think about David, spread himself too thin with his wives. And then that family, his, his family, his children, and all the goings on that took place uh, within them were, were worse than any soap opera. Some of the things that happened, they're so scandalous. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Loving discipline and boundaries can spare a whole family grief and tragedy. Well, not only will you reap as an individual and will you reap as a family the result of the seed that you, you sow, but also the family of God or the church. Sometimes there can be even ripples across the brotherhood because of decisions and choices that you make. If they're the wrong ones or if they're the right ones. Think about Paul and Peter in the positive sense. Peter preached Jesus in, faith, in the face of certain persecution. And the church prospered. 3,000 on that first day and then thousands and thousands more because he stood up for what's right. Paul established, strengthened churches throughout the West. And we have uh, 14 New Testament letters as a result of his great work and his great faithfulness. In the negative, though, think about this. Abraham and Sarah. Look, look with me, if you will, back at Genesis 16. You talk about implications. Poor choices. Wrong decisions and the result that they can make. This is probably the biggest that was ever made. Now Sarai, Genesis 16, verse 1. Abram's wife had borne him no children. God had promised and God was going to keep his promise. But that wasn't good enough. It wasn't happening quick enough. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Bad idea. 
And then Abraham went along with it. Equally bad idea. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. And what happened as a result of that? Skip down to verse um, 11 and 12. She gave birth to Ishmael. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. You know all the things that are going on in the Middle East and the troubles that are going on in the world? You know how far those can be traced back? All the way back to right here. Genesis 16. Just one little decision. How, 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 how badly could that affect anyone outside of the two of them? It's affected the whole world because of that. You talk, Islam, a thorn in everybody's side. Where'd that come from? You know where the split comes? With our understanding and theirs, the biggest part of the split, they believe it wasn't Isaac that was offered on the altar, but it was Ishmael. And right there is when it all changes and it all becomes very different. You can trace that all the way back. The tragedy of 9-11, all these things that are going on, all the way back to this one man and this one woman's poor decision. Hitler, you remember, sowed the seed of genocide and no one in Germany rose up against him. As a result, Germany was turned to rubble and only in relatively recent years have they recovered. As one man or one woman, you have a tremendous capacity either for helping or hindering the church. And even the brotherhood at large, you can have a positive or negative impact. If you sow strife, listen, you aren't going to reap peace. I like what one man said. He said, we are all manufacturers. He said, making good making trouble, or making excuses. Which of these defines you tonight? Which of these will define you? Which of these will define me in the future? Am I the kind of person who's going to be making trouble? Or am I the kind of person who's going to be making excuses for not doing what I know I should? Or will I be making good? If you're capable of doing great work, and you're only doing good work for the Lord, is that not sin? Is that not like the man, the one-talent man that we read about, we spoke about last night? Part of the success of the early church was their ability to develop momentum and maintain that momentum. That's what we want to do right here at Plans Road. You've got some momentum. Uh, there's an illustration given in a, a business book, Good to Great, Talking about how it takes a while and you just have to keep pulling it. He used the idea of a, a flywheel. Uh, the idea of a merry-go-round is easier for me to uh, relate to. And you know how when you get a bunch of people in a merry-go-round, you have to be pulling and, or pushing and pulling to get that thing in. Slow at first. Slow and you just have to keep working and working. But once you get that thing going, then you just, it doesn't take as much effort. It doesn't take as much. We just have to keep going. You just have to stick with it. It's the way it is in the church. But you know what happens sometimes? We get that thing going, and then all of a sudden somebody wants to jump in and stop the merry-go-round, so to speak. It's one thing. If because of your situation, your circumstances, you're not able to help get that thing going, that's one thing. That's one thing. 
but don't you get in the way of those who are working. You work with them, you support them, or you get out of the way. Don't be one of those who are making trouble. Two men were riding a bicycle built for two and they came to a long steep hill. It took a great deal of struggle for the men to complete what proved to be a very stiff climb. When they got to the top, the man in front turned to the other and said, boy, that sure was a hard climb. The fellow in the back replied, yeah, and if I hadn't kept the brakes on all the way, we would certainly have rolled down backwards. Sometimes that's what's going on in the church. We've got people working and working uphill and uphill. We've got people throwing food at them, throwing tomatoes at them, trying to get things, uh, stirring up trouble within the church. Don't let that be you, because if that is you, listen, brother, sister, you're going to reap. You're going to pay the price down the road. You write it down, it's going to happen. Listen, the work of the church, we're talking about the work of the church. We're not talking about hills. We're talking about the souls of men. And the work of the church is not my work. And it's not your work. It's the Lord's work. And the church will reap what you sow. Sammy spent his boyhood summers walking through the woods, playing with friends, and his favorite by far was fishing in the pond down the road. Nearly every day he would dig up some worms and head off pole in hand for a day of fishing. This steamy hot day was like most others during Sammy's summer break, waking early. He could hear the pond calling, so Sammy quietly walked out the front door, grabbed his pitchfork and worm pail, and walked into the woods to search for bait. He turned over old stumps and dug under leaves, hoping to find worms. Under one old stump, he hit the jackpot. The ground was just writhing, and in two minutes, he had all the bait he needed, and in 15 minutes, he was at the pond. Reaching into his bait bucket, Sammy pulled out a big worm. He double-hooked it and tossed it into the water. He noticed a stinging in his hand, but he was filled with the excitement of the moment, and so he paid no attention to it. Within 30 seconds, Sammy had a strike and pulled in a nice catfish. Wow, he thought, a fish. In the first minute, he put the catch on the stringer, hurried to rebait his hook, and tried his luck again. Once again, he felt the stinging sensation in his hand as he threw his hook into the pond. He didn't have time to worry about that. Within just a few seconds, he had another large fish. He fumbled the next time he baited his hook. His hand felt numb and stiff. But Sammy was still too excited about catching another fish to give it much thought. In only an hour, Sammy had caught eight large fish. This was definitely his best fishing day ever. He was so proud of his outing that with plenty of day left, he threw his heavy stringer over his shoulder and dashed toward home to show off his catch. The local sheriff happened to drive up alongside Sammy and started to congratulate him on his catch. With a smile and a victory whoop, Sammy held up the stringer. The sheriff gasped, parked his car, and ran to Sammy. His eyes hadn't deceived him. Sammy's arms really were red and swollen to about twice their normal size. Exactly where have you been and what bait did you use to catch all those fish? The sheriff asked. I found some special bait under an old stump, Sammy boasted. These worms really wiggle good. Holding the bucket up for inspection, and after one look at the worms, the sheriff threw Sammy in the truck, made a U-turn on the dirt road, and sped off to the hospital. But it was too late. Sammy died before they could get to town. Sammy 
had been fishing with baby rattlesnakes. Sammy's deadly bait brought him a good morning of fishing, but it cost him his life. Had Sammy stopped fishing after the first sting, he could have been saved, but Sammy was having too much fun to be bothered by the throbbing in his hand before it went totally numb. Folks, playing around with sin, enjoying the pleasures of sin is like using baby rattlesnakes for bait. The sin that we dabble in may seem harmless, but that sin releases a venom of its own and it will affect you because sin will take you farther than you want to go, will keep you longer than you want to stay, and will cost you more than you want to pay. When you sense that sting, that's your conscience. You listen to that conscience and you remember the words that we read tonight. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.